Welcome back, everybody. I really wanted you to meet Michael Simon Hall. If you're not familiar with his work, he's done a ton on stage. He's done a ton uh, of uh, wonderful guest uh, stars and uh, some leading roles on screen, one of which we're going to talk about. It's a movie that's coming out called Women. Welcome to the program, Michael. Hey. Hey, Alan. Thanks for uh, having me. Hi. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Um, uh, one thing that's uh, that's kind of silly, but uh, uh, you know, as I started doing my research on you, uh, and I saw your name, Michael Hall. Obviously, it's Michael Simon Hall. The first Michael Hall that comes to mind is Michael C. Hall. So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, you you're you're kind of in the same age group in terms of uh, uh, you know characters. Yeah. How yeah. often, or did it not at all uh, come up for you? Yeah, well, it, it's funny how you know way back then he. Um, he uh around the same time i think i had joined the union just before him <laughs> and there was another michael hall in the union um and this is equity uh the stage union and uh and there was a michael hall and then i had started to toy with the name of michael simon hall and then i thought well i need to get a different name to be registered with the union anyway so then i i i said michael simon hall and uh, i always liked the name simon and um put that in there and then and then michael c hall came around and i guess there was already a michael hall and then there was you know there's a few mike it's a you know it's a pretty common name so he had to i guess he decided to put his c in there i don't know the details of that's his middle name or what, but yeah and, then, and from time to time people would think i was him or you know um which is flattering and uh you know he kind of shot up into stardom almost um, very quickly um you know really talented guy and um so but anyway yeah, yeah. just interesting uh, <laughs> with with names and comps and other things uh just uh funny i interviewed um uh, the i had uh, twins on who were uh, in uh, queen's uh, gambit uh, uh wonderful Ooh. actors oh really yeah and you know, not only are they twins, but the name itself is similar to another actor, and the look is similar to another actor who is in Harry Potter. So that whole oh, thing no. is just, you know, pretty, pretty funny. He had people coming up to him and saying how much they enjoyed his work in Harry Potter. So, so they're <laughs> wow. So they're really twins. Those, those they're really guys. twins. Yep. Wow. What a yep. great, what a great uh, piece of storytelling. Storytelling that was. Uh, he was outstanding. Yeah, it's uh, again from from a pure acting perspective. It's just I couldn't take my eyes off of her. Her eyes mm. were just so captivating in terms of all of the emotions and everything that's happening inside. I thought, oh my mm. god, this is such a mm. great job uh, acting. So and the story, yeah, I, I mean, the, the way it was written, I think, was brilliant. How you don't need to know a lot about, like mm. a lot of people felt, or you know, including myself, like, oh, it's about chess. I don't know anything about chess. I really don't care about chess. But it shows you about the power of good storytelling. And when you have someone who really knows the craft, how you started to be learn about chess little by little. And you start, at least for me, I felt like one of the big accomplishments of that piece was you felt like you understood what was going on, even mm -hmm. though you really didn't. You know, yeah. you felt part of the story and they were able to let you give you enough just enough detail without confusing you yeah. and then building on that step in you know step by step um episode to episode so that i really you know you i think that was amazing how you you really felt like you were sort of a chess player you know yeah. or an, you became a chess enthusiast you know um by it's, virtue of the of the storytelling i just think it was wonderful yeah very true and uh I, again there's a lot of talk because of uh, how great the series was it was meant to be a limited series kind of a one-time thing but there's been talk of uh, of continuing and having more stories uh, because anya is amazing and so is the rest of the cast so yeah oh yeah it was a great ending too how the end the final ending and uh how she walks through the park and she sits down and starts playing chess with oh i don't want to well i guess everyone's seen it by now so it's not I, spoiler, i'm right? pretty sure yeah yeah it was the a beautiful point. ending and yeah, how she the, came full circle because mm -hmm. it seemed like it you know she went through some real dark spots and it would seem like oh this could be a very dark ending maybe you know who knows and it, and it wasn't and i that was also a very i think that was a very uh very effective 
and um, it was yeah. yeah the whole white queen the whole outfit everything was just perfect there's so many layers to it like watching it i oh, I, I didn't like... even notice that she was all dressed in white yeah and look look at and... the hat look at the whole thing it was meant to look like a white queen all, oh all my god that even Wow. Go back now. All of her outfits, yeah. uh, not only were they were they specifically meant with the haircuts, with uh, you know the clothes that she was wearing, they meant to identify her kind of her age and uh, growing up and becoming a stronger, more independent woman. But everything had some chess related things into it. It was all black and white, and it was very mm. specific. And they kept on that trajectory until she becomes the White Queen at the very end. Oh my cool. God! I didn't even know that. I missed that. <laughs> I was just fascinated with the wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, sure. I said, if nothing else, this this piece is going to be known as the wallpaper story because fascinating, amazing wallpaper. Every every scene, the designs. Yeah. I mean, it was a time period, right? So, but they took advantage mm -hmm. of full advantage of the art direction was just outstanding. It was just amazing. It's it was just a really terrific series. Uh, I couldn't find anything that I didn't like about it. It was everything was just done so 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 well. Anyway, uh, back uh, back to our bananas. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. uh, before we kind of dive into uh, to uh, your work and uh, you meeting some of my friends along the way, uh, I wanted to ask you how you got started. Because becoming an actor, you know, everybody sees kind of the bright lights and uh, and red carpets. But being an actor is a very difficult, uh, ficky, fickly, uh, finicky, that's the word, finicky thing. So how did you uh, come by becoming an actor and why did you do that? I don't, well, I, I think just about um, artistic expression, I think, was where it was at. And wasn't necessarily just about acting. I actually started in music when I was very young and I just had a natural, I, I sing a lot and I, in the past I've done a lot of musicals and I actually am doing one right now and maybe we'll talk about that. And, um, yeah. but but um, the thing is I had a deep affinity for music and, and I played the piano and then that opened up to other things and storytelling and um, in high school, I started, well, even you no, know, before high school, when I was in middle school, I started acting and, you know, um, actually in community theater when I was in seventh grade, I started doing community theater after doing theater at my at my local school. And I fell in love with the whole family of, I mean, I remember my first community theater production was Brigadoon, the musical. Mm -hmm. And do you know it? I've seen it, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, it's a it's be beautiful music by Lerner and Lowe, and um, and um, I was in the ensemble, and um, but this was a community theater group, and I finally like I felt like I found my family. I felt like my family is not necessarily a pretty middle of the road, not uh, really that artistic per se. Uh, generally, at least my parents aren't, and um, and um. I felt like, oh, these people get me and I get them. And we, um, I was just on cloud, I really was on cloud nine. And this is in seventh grade, I remember. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because you had all age ranges. You had people that were my parents' age. You had people that were my age, the younger teenagers at that, you know, people, you know, young adults. You had seniors and because you have this whole community in, in this little fictional town of Brigadoon. And we all came together and I realized, oh my God, I'm not the only one who loves this. And and the music was so beautiful and and you bond through that music kind of like singing together. I always love singing in a group and it re and and that started when I was in in, uh, in church, singing in the church choir and that feeling of togetherness and and uh, and so that it translated into theater. And then I was really hooked from them then on. And um, and then that gave way. Then I started to do more acting, just uh, straight plays. But for a long time, it was, you know, I did a lot of musicals because I also ended up dancing. I found out I was a good dancer and when I was in high school. And then that became a, a huge passion of mine. And then most of my professional work when I I started working professionally in high school. I was doing musicals uh, where I was singing and dancing a lot, uh, like um, 
musicals like, you know, the classics like, say, Oklahoma or um, The Music Man, things like this. And um, I worked with regional theater companies in Connecticut where I grew up. And I got a scholarship from the Goodspeed Opera House, a regional theater uh, there. And um, and when I was in high school to pursue my professional training, and that was really great. And uh, but I guess my my I, I just felt like there's something in my blood regarding performance, and I can't explain it any other way. It's not like it was in my family's history. It wasn't. I wasn't trying to emulate my parents. My parents weren't a, a, a showbiz family or anything like that. You know, so I, it's kind of like an organic thing, I guess, you know. So, um, yeah, and then I, you know, then you start exploring. And I, I wrote when I was young, and I, I, I realized also I had some gift for writing, and my teachers encouraged me in creative writing class when I was young. And that was about self-expression. And then eventually it kind of, over the years, started to come together because I ended up being a playwright and I've, I've I had a theater company here in New York City at one point and and uh, just the whole creative development process of storytelling so really I think of myself as a storyteller more than anything else I um, and I play I wear different hats at different times and um, that can be a good I mean it's great because you can you know you correlate you make correlations and you uh, you look at storytelling from the point of view of a writer, as a director, as an actor, um, maybe a technical person behind the scenes, maybe as a lighting person. And and you find you, you can find all these common threads that come, you know, that weave through everything. And so that's part of my development process is to change hats and look at things from different perspectives. And hopefully it makes me better when I get on a set. I can understand where the director's coming from. I can understand where the writer's coming from. And like for me, because I, I started to do, I only started doing film and TV about five years ago because I was so caught up in theater, it was my passion. And I didn't realize I felt so safe in that space. I didn't want to leave, even though I loved theater. I mean, I loved uh, film and television. Working on a set was foreign to me. And then, uh, and then also, working in front of a camera and being able to be comfortable in front of a camera and have a camera in your face and working in a very in a more intimate environment than you are when you're usually on stage where you have space and there's a distance between you and the audience and you know or some degree of distance so anyway so well i guess what i'm saying is like my right now i'm i'm really still very much in the exploration of how do you tell a story best on camera and working with a camera um, um yeah so i you know i i took um anyway i yeah but that's it's it's great that again you found something that you really identified with you found something that felt right and then you continued exploring it from different uh, angles and that uh, took you you know up till now uh, I think the the first uh, first things in TV and film that I saw on IMDb Pro, which sometimes is accurate, sometimes is not, are all from kind of 2014 going up. So you definitely see that uh, that progression from uncredited things to you know credited and uh, bigger and bigger. Oh project. yeah, those um, things shouldn't be on there. Because I started well, to, I decided to do, yeah. I did background work for a while because I wanted to yeah. get comfortable on set and and. Um, and say, why not get paid to do background work and, and see what I can learn? And because years yeah. ago, I poo pooed that like years ago, because I've been I work I've been working professionally for many um, on stage and I thought, oh, I'm not going to do background work. Yeah. But I thought, oh, just humble yourself, Michael, get on set. And um, and then I was working. I worked with a lot of wonderful people and ended up working, you know, um, with a, a wonderful, you know, accomplished screen actors, but I was able to observe how they worked and how the directors worked and how the cinematography worked. And so, and that, you know, really prepared me. And then I started auditioning and, you know, I started doing short films and, um, and some of those became very successful. I went to Sundance and, uh, and, uh, you know, Tribeca Film Festival and uh, winning some awards and stuff like that. 
and I continued that. And then, you know, eventually I started, I, you know, I started said, okay, enough of the background work. It can kind of suck you in. You get sucked into this world because they keep on offering you work and you want to take mm -hmm. it. And I mean, you got to survive and whatever. And then I said, okay, enough of that. <laughs> yeah. And there, you know, um, anyway, so yeah, my, I was very, because I've, as you can tell, I have a lot, my, I'm very interested in so many things and that's great, but then you have to be able to have a singular focus too. If you really, right. you know, you have to kind of make the main thing, the main thing. And so I decided to, after I took a break from theater for about, ten, I mean, from performing for about 10 years mm -hmm. um, to focus on writing. And I was, and I had three plays produced in New York city and, um, and that was great. And then I said, well, I really want to get back. I want to, there's a visceral experience from being in front of an audience that you can't get when you're a, a writer. Yep. The writer is more removed and it's more cerebral um, and insular. And But as the actor, you have to be engaged in the moment and present and that feeling of blindness that you get, that you nothing can replace that. So, and I thought, well, you know, anyway, so I decided, okay, well, let's just see. And so I started to really focus on screen work. And so, like you said, it all happened within the path, no, in only a few years. Yeah, yeah. it has. So. But even uh, you've mentioned that, again, doing that uncredited work, which uh, background acting, you now people may think of it as you just have to sit somewhere and, uh, you know, uh, drink a coffee while you're in the shot. It's not exactly like that. Background acting, there's a lot to it. And uh, there's a lot to learn. I did kind of the same thing. Before I started uh, doing projects, I took a background role just to understand what it was like on set. And between seeing that and doing independent and student films, they really kind of got me prepared for knowing how to be, what it's like. And uh, it, there is a lot that goes to it. And one of your projects that uh, you were doing that is one of my favorite movies. And in terms of you know legendary acting performances was Bridge of Spies. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, that was great. I, I, yeah. That was kind of, I went into the uh, to the cinema and I saw Bridge of Spies and after a few minutes looking at Mark Rylance's work, I said, I, I mm. turned to, I think, mm. I don't remember who I was with, but I turned to whoever I was with and I said, if he doesn't win an Oscar for this, I do not understand acting. Mm. Uh, and mm. he was just incredible. And that's, I, it's stuck with me since then. His, uh, his phrase of, would it help? Uh, I still use that outside of mm. acting just in regular life. <laughs> when I find myself stressed, I ask myself, would it help? And then I get back into the norm. <laughs> like that movie had, had oh a, a big influence on me. What was it like? Yeah, he's uh, a genius. Yeah. I mean, and you could see, I don't think he could have done, I mean, he's a consummate stage actor and that's, and it shows. Yeah. And he was able to, um, yeah, his presence on screen, his stillness, his mastery of stillness and simplicity and focus. Yeah. You know, like it's just amazing. And yeah, it's a great example. And um I got to work with I had I got ended up it got cut. You could see me for a few moments, but there was a scene with uh I played a reporter and I was mm -hmm. working with um I was right next to uh Tom Hanks and Alan Alda and you know, Steven Spielberg right here over my shoulder. And he has his two, uh, cam his camera cinematographers, his, um, photographers that have been working with him for 20 years and they're telling jokes. We're doing serious scene and in between shots are just, they're just laughing, you know, guffawing at me, telling silly jokes to each other. And, um, and it was just really, it was really wonderful. And, um, you know, we got to improv, we ended up improvising some lines, me and Tom Hanks and then, in that scene and then it, you know they get it gets all cut up and but i was just it was a great experience you know yeah um i think just again being in that environment uh you 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 understand what it's like you know what you want it to be like when you're doing more of it and i i found uh being in the background very very useful for what was to come later absolutely and i think it really it, it shows you like there's so many things you can do. I mean, and it really demonstrates your commitment and your commitment to and your passion for the craft. Like I remember being doing background work and I would make up my whole inner monologue and I would be acting on camera for myself. I mean, during the scene, whether I'm on camera or not, I would set up a circumstance. I would, 
and I would try to, you know, create my own little story, whether I was featured in the shot or not, you know, I would use it as an opportunity to work as best I could on my craft. And as you know, some of the best acting is, is when you, you're not speaking. And um, there's so many things you, you know, so I think that that mindset is, you know, if someone really is passionate about the craft and you have that opportunity working on set to do your own work while you're shooting these projects, mm -hmm. you know. And then, of course, you could be many times I was on set while I'm there. I'm running my lines for a, another, you know, for some uh, short film I was doing. Right. Or running my I remember being on in between takes, looking at my phone, scheduling auditions and and, uh, you know, preparing for or getting a call that I booked another gig while you're on set, you know, in between takes, you know, and you're not supposed to have your cell phone usually on set. They say no cell phones on set, yep. you know, but if you know that you're waiting for an important call, you bring your phone and of course you put it on silent, but then you check it. And um, yeah, so it's a great thing. You know, I mean, it's a great, if you have the right mindset, it's a great opportunity for actors to do that. You know? Yeah. And even uh, again, like uh, doing double work, uh, you know, one of the other projects that uh, you, you uh, had an episode on uh, was, uh, I know, you know, this much is true, uh, working mm. with, uh, with Mark yeah. Ruffalo. One of yeah. my, uh, one of my friends and a friend of the show, Gabe Fazio, he was uh, working with Mark uh, and he was playing the twin brother uh, in order to give Mark uh, kind of something to work with. So oh, wait. Uh, he was just like, he was just like, uh, yeah. um, he was, he was just standing for the twin. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I, never, I never met him because, you know, um, in, well, my scene. Episode, right. Yeah. I was only working with one of the characters he was playing with, Dominic. Yep. And um, yep. but that was a huge accomplishment that show in terms of the technical feats of the story of having that your friend who was the stand-in for like his double, hmm. and then how Mark had to play both parts and took the time off to gain the weight in between. Um, and um, yeah, and and that was that was a whole other level of. I mean that just the accomplishment technically was amazing with that with that uh, miniseries. In addition to just the storytelling, I mean the script and the acting and and an amazing ensemble of actors. Aside from I'm not including myself and I mean the you know the you know it was I, they should have been nominated. I felt like for best ensemble. Um, I thought so for the yeah. SAG award. They didn't get nominated, but I thought that they deserved to. You know, but um. Okay. Yeah, it was great to work with with Mark on that, and to work with Derek, um, the director, and they're very collaborative. And we talked a lot about the scene. We improved on the scene. Um, we tried a lot of different things, and um, and what ended up in the final cut is a combination of improv and the script, kind of mixed in to each other. And, nice. Um, yeah. So, and. Uh, and yeah. What what is it like uh, again as an actor? We know kind of you know we know when we have it, when we don't have it. We have a feel of how you know how present we are. And then, in addition to all of that, in addition to learning the lines and knowing where the camera is supposed to be, and you know everything, all the blocking. And then you're acting uh, across from a person who is an incredible actor in, in Mark, you know, did that add more uh, worry or at some point it just kind of all falls away and you're just, you know, you're being there? Yeah, it's interesting because, um, I mean, I had the good fortune to work with a bunch of people. I also, I shot The Deuce opposite Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, yeah. Also, that same year in 2019, unfortunately, we had a wonder, a beautiful scene together. I, I unfortunately got cut. Um, but um, and also, you know, other people I've worked, like, say, Tom Hanks and whomever. But so, yeah, there's always a certain a, a amount, maybe a degree of nervousness. But I think it's more like that nervousness happens when I know I've got the job and you say you got the job. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, Mark Ruffalo, you know, and it's like yeah. you're so excited and happy. 
I mean, you knew that if you got the part, you would be working with them. But when you really get the call and they say, we would love to have Michael play this part. And um, so at that point, there's maybe, I, at least for me, that's when kind of like I get a rush of excitement and some nerves. But you have time before the shoot happens. And then I'm able to just settle in to calm down and and focus on the storytelling. And then, you know, you get on set and Mark in particular is, you know, he's a very down to earth guy. And, you know, what you get on camera from him, what you see on camera, I mean, in my opinion, and he's played, you know, many different kinds of characters, but generally he's a pretty, you know, pretty down to earth guy and um, in the characters he plays and, and that's the way he was. And so I felt like he's probably gonna be easy to work with. You know, and um, so, you know, I met him in the trailer, I mean, in the makeup trailer, and I, I went over to him and says, hey, I'm going to harass you today. I'm your lawyer. I mean, you're going to come to, I'm your asshole lawyer. You know, whatever we joked about yeah. it. And, you know, so you break the ice ahead of time if you can. And, you know, and so we chatted for a few minutes. And so that helps too, before you get on set, you know. And, um and they, you know, they go to, especially when you're coming in, you know, it is kind of a challenge when you come in to only do a smaller part, you know, you come in out of the blue and you have to assimilate yourself very quickly and, and find a level of comfort very quickly. And as opposed to, you know, the, the crew has been shooting, I mean, they have been shooting for months already and they all, you're coming into their world. And so they, they really they do their best to make you feel comfortable, you know, and do everything so that you can relax and because they know how important that is, right? So, you know, the the PAs and the the second AD and whatever, and, and then Derek is really warm and wonderful. And I met with Derek ahead of time, like after my audition, then I, I had a meeting with him and I felt, you know, I felt a rapport with him right away. So that helps, you know, you feel more comfortable when you get on set. And I, you know, so it was pretty smooth. Once we got on set, I was, you know, and it's, I guess the thing is we're all human beings. And I try to remember that, that no matter who you're across from, they're just a human being. And um, regardless of their accomplishments and whatnot, and you just communicate to that human being in the context of, you know, obviously you have your, what is the purpose of the scene? What are you doing? And what am I trying to communicate or achieve in that scene? And you just focus on that. And then you trust the other person. And that's the other great thing. Like someone like him, you know, you can trust him. He's so accomplished that you know that, he, you know, you're in good hands as a scene partner. You don't have to worry about that. In some ways, it maybe makes you feel more comfortable than if maybe you were someone who may be less experienced, you know, in a way. So I never thought of that before. but. Yeah, so it was it was it was really great, and um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found it uh, very interesting, uh, you know, kind of looking at your experience, some of the roles that you're playing on stage. You're playing an abolitionist uh, priest, and then uh, you know the new movie that we're about to talk about, uh, women. You're playing, uh, you know, somebody who uh, has. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, not skeletons in his closet. He has women in his closet. Yeah, uh, literally. Yeah, literally. So, and I looked at it, I thought, what is it? Because, you know, uh, the good Lord Bird, Ethan Hawke's uh, project that was on, uh, on HBO. Uh, oh, yeah. I, auditioned, I auditioned for a number of things, including a abolitionist uh, priest. And I, I remember kind of doing an audition and then I did another thing and it's all for kind of guest stars. And you're thinking, first of all, I don't remember if it's HBO or Showtime. I apologize. I'll look it up. But anyway, yeah, you know, you're, I, think, you're, I don't think I've seen that. I've, I, it was, uh, you know, it's hard to keep track, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this. Yeah. Yeah. And so. I, I remember getting kind of the sides and, you know, oh my God, wow. It's, it's a, it's a guest star, recurring guest star uh, in, in some of those roles on a huge project with Ethan Hawke. So you're trying to take oh, all yeah. of that out of, yeah, all, all of that out of your head and just understanding that if you get it, you're going to be with Ethan Hawke in a scene or in many scenes. And then there's that part that you keep trying to get out of your head so it doesn't bother you while you're trying to do your work. It's very interesting. Uh, yeah, but yeah. The, idea, the idea of playing you know, psychopaths and playing uh, 
you know, priests and playing complex uh, kind of uh, troubled characters. I get uh, those auditions uh, quite often. And I'm looking at you and I'm looking at me. We're like, we're nice guys. Why are we getting to play these psychos? What is it in our, you know, in our headshot that people <laughs> think about and say, yeah, that's the guy who's going to be, you know, the, the psycho killer uh, in the neighborhood. It's like, why? What, what, what is it about us that makes people think that way? I know what makes you self-conscious, right? You think, what? Do they see something in me that I don't know about? It's like, or exactly. whatever. Like, it's like, yeah, and you just gotta let it roll off your shoulder. I think, I think it's partly because, um, I mean, you, you, I mean, of course, there's, you know, you could talk to directors and casting directors, and they have all kinds of different opinions. But I think they want to see layers and complexity, and they want to. Um, um, if someone is naturally comes across as a nicer guy, like you seem like a natural friendly guy, like on the street, you'd be a friendly guy in the neighborhood. I'd say hello to you, have a nice smile. And, you know, and it's like that makes it more interesting when you see someone who seems like they're a nice guy, but underneath there's something going on or, you know, someone that used to be a nice guy, but is so psychologically damaged that now his behavior has gone in the downward spiral and he's doing some crazy things and this is part of the you know the makeup of you know human you know human nature uh and you know uh, part of you know the story of the human race is you we're all i think innately good people i, I mean me personally this is my my personal feeling i think that we're all basically good but we end up um doing evil things out of ignorance and out of lack of understanding um lack of knowledge and generally speaking i think that's usually what happens to people um and um and of course because and when i say they they fall into ignorance or whatever it's because of they've ex they've experienced ex um, pain themselves to such a level and they don't know how to release the pain and then they start to uh, live that pain out in their everyday life and they start to inflict it on other people you know and um you know so like this i mean i mean there are i guess you know theoretically there are people who are born insane and uh, but that's a very very small percentage of people most people you know uh over time if someone like jeffrey dahmer or whoever or this character i play bradley um Bradley Gilmore, this professor in women, he experienced some severe trauma when he was a child. That was the backstory. And you learn a little bit about that. And that's where it started. And he never was able to overcome it. And then eventually it spiraled out of control. He never got the help that he should have gotten. And and um, he went off the deep end. And And now he's in a you know, it's a terrible thing to even contemplate how this does happen to people and that he's like beyond, he seems to be, you know, he passed the point of no return. How many years ago? I don't know. Um, he's accumulated so many transgressions um, that it's like he's irredeemable. Yeah. And, and then all you know how to do at that point is continue to do the same things you've been doing. Um, I think that's kind of where he is, where he's at. And um, so, but I think it's like that, like to get back to your question that people, they don't want to look for someone that seems like they're overtly evil. You know, they want someone that maybe is a regular person that's gone bad. Maybe, yeah. you know, I don't know. That's just one, that's I, one way of looking at it. Sometimes you want people, sometimes, you know, certain characters, I don't know um where the person looks like a bad guy and he is a bad guy you know mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's true um uh, i yeah. heard from uh from different casting directors that they when they allow people to uh okay and casting directors don't allow they're a part of the process yeah we know but in terms of kind of <clears throat> deciding of who gets to play the villain uh they obviously want somebody who's a very strong actor but they want somebody who's not going to be that way on set. 
you know, they want somebody <laughs> who is actually a decent, normal human being That's who can play somebody who's bad, but is not an actual bad person on set because you don't want that kind of person to be on set. So that exactly. that I heard, and that makes me feel good. I'm like, okay, good. Then you think I'm a good person. I'll just play a jerk. That's fine. <laughs> right. Well, you always want good people on set regardless, right? That's so important. And that's like building your, you know, hopefully you build a good reputation for yourself as someone who's good to work with and brings a good energy to the set, regardless of what kind of project you're working on. And, and that's so important from the professional side of the business <laughs> is to really be a real team player to try to contribute to a positive environment on the set and and um be a professional and that makes a big difference and you know but yeah i felt awkward playing this role but i mean you know like when i got on set the two lovely actresses i'm working opposite um anna marie dobbins and uh, anna mesh and also the the guy who plays the detective and we're kind of like yeah. become our enemies the guy who's after me his name is adam dorsey all of them i remember on the first day or i said i apologize you know in advance for every ter terrible thing i'm going to do to you on set or that you know how i'm going to act towards you or whatever and and um i apologize you know i apologize in advance if sometimes i seem like i'm in a you know in a dark place but i just want you know i just felt like i wanted to say something so oh, we understand we know it's cool but it does affect you like it does affect the tone of it can affect the tone of the set but i think it's important to try to make an effort to try to maintain a connection with the other actors separate from what you do on set i mean sometimes people might disagree with that and they come on set only in character they stay on in character the whole time and i'm not saying it's not valid and sometimes maybe it's very valid to do that mm -hmm. but i try to make an effort to have a little time each day with the people that I was working with just as people, you know, and um, if I could, if that worked out, like say we have lunch together, have breakfast together, you know, and um, stuff like that. And, um, but on set, I guess, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm one, just, uh, I try, I'm not someone that feels like I need to be in character on set the entire time. Good. I don't, um, I, because I'm so immersed, what I've learned over the years, especially from doing so much theater, is when you're really immersed in the story and the script, and the, it's so much a part of you, it becomes part of your subconscious or it becomes organic in you. And I learned to hopefully trust that, 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 that it's there. And I don't need to constantly be thinking about it. I don't need to be trying to stay in character. It's kind of like underneath, it's always there, I found, you know, when when you're on set or when you're in the rehearsal process. It starts, if you've done your work and your preparation, mm -hmm. it only takes me a few minutes to go into it, it go, to go into that space um, and um, the circumstances and whatnot. And it carries, you know, it carries you through. I mean, and um, so I don't feel the need to push it. And I think, and um, especially with a character like this, because this character was so, so screwed up psychologically you have to know that where the that fine line is hopefully where you you get it can go too far for the for me personally where it gets to the point where it it may not be helping my performance it may not help it may not contribute to what we're doing if i i think that the actor you have to maintain sort of your awareness of what's going on, even if you, you have to be free and let yourself be in the moment. But, you know, um, sometimes it can go too far, I think, for your own mental health. And then if that starts to suffer, that can affect the process of the creative process of putting a film together. You know yeah, so. and that's you're actually went into where i wanted to ask you of playing somebody who has a split personality playing somebody who is not a very nice guy um how do you you know everybody who works regardless of the industry knows that sometimes they take the work home you certainly don't want to take that boy home so how <laughs> do you kind of how do you cleanse and the actresses that I talk to that play a lot of dramatic parts, they actually use the makeup process and the removal of the makeup process as their way of getting back into them. 
and they kind of use that whatever uh, 20 30 minutes that it takes to literally kind of you know take it off and wash it off and i thought that was a cool way of of them dealing with it but how do men do it that we don't have to wear makeup or very little makeup uh, exactly i was just gonna say i mean we don't wear you know on that shoot i didn't i you know have just little a little bit of foundation very little so it's not yeah. like a big process and a lot of times you don't right. even i forget it's on and you leave the set and you, you're like oh i never took my makeup off but it was minimal so yeah so you don't have that process um and um but what i do is i just try to really change my it's really about mental focus and change your attention. Put your attention on something totally different. Um, and one thing that helps is just going for a walk, getting away from the set in the environment, um, going out and just maybe if you can take a walk, a quiet walk in nature. Um, I find nature very relaxing and it's very therapeutic. And um, it's important to me to do that as part of my it's kind of something I do on a regular basis, almost every day if I can, even here in New York. I have some beautiful parks near me and I go almost usually daily for a walk. And um, so, and part of the reason I'm doing that is to relax my mind, you know, and, and shift my, divert my attention from whatever may be going on that day and, you know, whatever's, you know, on the agenda, blah, 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 and just, look at the trees and look out at I, I'm near the East River. I go out and look at the river, enjoy, you know, even if the weather's not great, I still go out. And um, so I try to do that on set. And I think anything you can do to kind of extrovert your attention um, and is a good thing, you know, so. Um, my, my own technique, and I think you may enjoy that because of your original love of musicals, is I find that the old time musicals have a particular beautiful energy uh, and resonance to them. So anytime I I feel like I am away from who I am as a person, I go and I turn on uh, one of those old time musicals, you know, Hello Dolly, or even, you know, older, uh, talking about uh, Holiday Inn. You know, I, I put those on, 10, 15 minutes of that, I'm like, okay, I'm back into who I am. <laughs> And all of that that's stuff can fall away. So that's that's what I do. Yeah, that's fantastic because you know that was part that was my love, and I I used to do a tribute to Fred Astaire. See, that's it's funny. I have this whole I I love getting into the deep uh, psychological aspect of characters and like these characters that are conflicted and whatnot. But part of me just loves um, doing the you know the fun stuff where it's simply for pure entertainment. It's pure joy. Um, like Fred Astaire, like the feeling you get when you watch a Fred Astaire movie or get when you watch him dance. And uh, I did, it. you know, I was so inspired by him and I totally get what you're saying. It's a higher vibration and it's yeah. so freeing. And that's a great technique. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to be Gene Kelly. I, you know, I kind of, my whole, <laughs> yeah. my whole Americanization process was, uh, you know, coming here and watching these old musicals. And that was cinema to me. That's what I wanted to do, and that's that's kind of how my whole thing was was born. But what's what's your favorite musical? I know you've done a lot of them. So what what's yours? Oh, it's very tough musical, to a musical movie or a, a stage musical, or it doesn't matter. Or, you you pick. Yeah, um, what, what are your top couple? It's so hard to say. Um, I mean, I love the grand old, you know, the golden age of musical theater. And I love like, say, musical yeah. like Gypsy. Uh, Gypsy, I um, I did that. I did that once with Rita Moreno years ago. She played Mama Rose. And in a regional tour that we did around the country. And and that was wonderful. And um, and I've done that. And then I did that. I've done that, that musical a few times. Once I played Tulsa, the song and dance man. Um, we have the great tap dance number and um that was fantastic and i i love that musical i mean it's just very well written it's one of the probably the best books of a musical and also has one of the best scores uh and um and just love the showbiz feeling of it like the you know the the you know the down and dirty gritty uh vaudevillians scrapping you know scraping by to survive and that that whole kind of you know i have a very romantic idea of that time period and 
I feel like I can relate to that. And I used to get cast in a lot of those things like 1930s period shows. Yeah. And um, yeah, and um, so that's one of my favorites. But I also like, I love Stephen Sondheim. And that's maybe the other side of my personality, I guess you could, or something. Like uh, Sunday in the Park with George is one of my favorite musicals. Um, you, the you, journey of the, the journey and the challenge of the artist and getting inside the artist's mind and uh, you know George Surratt and what was going on with him and him trying to have a relationship with another human being and it's like you know um, that tension between human connection with someone and then also your you know your connection with aesthetics and with art and um, and I can relate to that as an artist, you know, that challenge. Because, you know, we have our muses and you can get so caught up in your muse or in your art that sometimes, you know, you forget about people sometimes, you know. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was looking at my phone because you made me think of, I actually put together my my top five list of musicals. I couldn't find it, but I, I know, I know it. I think I know it. Uh, uh, and I'm not sure of the order anymore because that that's going to be all thing. But you know, Holiday Inn is definitely one of those. Something Rotten, I love. Something Rotten, I when I was watching, I'm oh, like, yeah. did Mel did Mel Brooks write this because that has Mel Brooks <laughs> all over it, uh, and he didn't. But uh, so Something Rotten is for me. Uh, uh, Fiddler on the Roof is mm. is in there. Uh, uh, of course, Gene Kelly, my goodness, uh, the, the main one, what is it? Uh, now my American in Paris. No, no, not American. Good morning. Um, uh, sing it in the rain. Thank you. Sing in the rain. Yeah, so yeah. there's, there's, there's four. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we, we can put five of so many things in there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, Gene Kelly's amazing too. And, um, um, yeah, those are great musicals you mentioned. Um, I mean, actually, uh, something rotten. I saw that, and I was I was up for a part in that on Broadway and like uh, or the tour or something. And it was like that show is so demanding on the ensemble. It's crazy. They're on stage nonstop, and they have a million costume changes and tons of choreography and everything. And it was like. I don't want to, I felt like I, I didn't know if there was really kind of like the character I'd want to play in that show. And I said, this show is extremely demanding. And maybe when I was young, you know, like 20 years ago, but yeah. it was like, honestly, I don't think I want to do this show. This show, I'd rather watch it than do it. Because um, I just thought, oh my God, it's like, like, a, yeah, it's a super talented ensemble and very, uh, very demanding. Yeah. And very, of uh, course, very entertaining. Yeah. Extremely entertaining. So what, what is the musical that you're working on now? Um, well, this is called Henry Box Brown. And um, it's something I've been a part of for about, about three years right now uh, through different iterations. And it's continued. You know, musical development takes a long time. Um, right. And um, so uh, we've been at the Edinburgh Festival two years uh, we went to the Edinburgh Festival two times, 2018, 2019, and um, we went back with a different iteration of the show the second time, and um, and um, and continued to develop the show, and it turned out to be a very good thing that we did that, and kind of unusual development process. Um, but Henry Box Brown was um, a slave in uh, 1749 who escaped. Uh, from Virginia uh, by shipping himself through the mail in a box uh, un through the Underground Railroad. And then he became known as Henry Box Brown. And um, I play an abolitionist minister or someone at that time. That, that The term abolitionist may not even have existed yet, but it, they called them emancipators at that time. Uh, so I became an emancipator. I was a and it's based on a true character, uh, Reverend James Smith. He's leading a slaveholding congregation in the heart of the South, in the heart of slavery down in Virginia. And he has uh, an awakening and he realizes that this is not God's will. 
um, and he decides, he says, I can no longer be part of a slaveholding congregation. And he has a big fight with his wife and, uh, and um, you know, he's, he's trying to, he's searching his soul and he's, he he's, has tremendous um, anguish. He's grown up in this culture and he, and it's, you know, he was indoctrinated into that. And so, but he starts to think bigger and he's been talking to people in the North and, um, and he has this, you know, he says, I can, I'm sorry, my dear, I can no longer do this. And, you know, and so it's obviously a conflict for their relationship and their family because he's putting their whole livelihood at stake and not, not only that, but their actual survival, their safety. Yep. And um, so, but he finally, he makes, and then he has a big scene in church one day where he breaks down and says, I can no longer do this. And he makes a big, he comes out and he talks to the whole congregation and um, it's a big deal. And it's one of the, one of the very powerful scene in the play and um in the musical and then eventually then henry comes to him looking for help and he says um i know that you've been looking for ways to slacken the burden of the negro and um and um can you please help me i have an idea that i want to escape i want to ship myself in a box and of course i can't believe what he's saying to me and um and then that's really, it's really then putting that moment, it's like, okay, you've been talking about helping. Are you yeah. really going to help? Are you going to take the risk and step out and do something that's illegal? Are you, are you my friend? He asks me, are you my friend? <clears throat> I just get emotional thinking about it. Um, and then I finally say, yes, and I will help you escape. And so he puts him in touch with somebody else who's who um is in the un, part of the underground railroad and at that time i don't think you know they didn't have a name for it yet but he puts him in touch with the storekeeper um who has connections with the the trade routes and the shipping routes and together they conspire to help him escape and then he eventually does escape you know? mm -hmm. so it's a powerful story and it's really about and the timing of this whole story, it just happened to be, you know, what's going on politically or what has been, you know, for the past several years in the United States and then, and Black Lives Matter. It just, it just, it was synchronous. You know, it, we didn't, you know, uh, it just happened that way. And that's pulled a lot of attention into the show. And when we were in Edinburgh, we got major, you know, you know, uh, amazing reviews from audiences and and from all the outlets um, from the, uh, the London Times and whatnot, and um, great feedback on the show. Very powerful because it's really about a story of transcendence, and you see the you know what slaves went through, how the families got torn apart, but you see this man who's not willing to give up and succumb and just accept his fate or what seems like his fate. He has a something his mother taught him as a child. And this is all based on his own narrative. When he eventually escaped, he, his, his masters, when he was young, taught him how to read and write. And he was actually became quite literate, quite very well spoken. Uh, he actually became an orator and an entertainer after he escaped and he ended up going to Europe. And he would tell his story of how he escaped from this box. And um, so, he wrote his narrative and the whole story, the musical is based on his actual narrative and you can read that. And he talks about how his mother told him, he says, um, free is how you're always going to be. Oops, sorry, my phone. I should shut that off. But he says, how, uh, free is how you're always, how you always going to be, no matter what. And so he carries that idea with him and, and he makes it come true. So not only spiritually free, but physically free from bondage. And um, so it's ultimately, a, you know, a, the, it's a story of transcendence and overcoming uh, suppression. And, um, and it really resonates with audiences on, on a really deep level. And part of that is through the Negro spirituals that we sing, because of course that was part of their culture and that's how they maintain their personal strength and hope is through the singing and, um, so and I love that music, and so the we have 
uh, you know, Negro spirituals and, and these beautiful arrangements by Eric Dozier. And we have a wonderful creative team uh, are woven in throughout the show. In addition to all kinds of, uh, you know, there's original music and, and many different styles and, you know, bluegrass and um, pop music, R&Bs, rap. And um, so anyway, so it's really, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And I'm, I feel very happy to be part of that. When is it coming back, right? Because the, you know, with the with the pandemic, uh, the Broadway unfortunately shut down. Uh, I yeah. hear things, but you know, uh, any news on when you think uh, you'll be back on stage? Yeah, well, we just had um, we were on a tour. We started to do a, a, a like a mini tour to different cities around the United States pre-pandemic, um, <laughs> and we were in February. We were we had started right before everything got shut down, and then this and then the country shut down, and so that gave it was a, kind of a blessing in disguise. That was a time to develop the show, and and uh, the the writer Mayor Mansuri uh, took that time to look how we can make the sh the show even better, and so now we just had a workshop. We had a workshop about a month ago. Nice. Um, we were in a bubble, if you want to call it a bubble workshop, um, under COVID, you know, very stringent COVID guidelines, working with the union and the CDC. We went into a three-week intensive workshop on a remote location up in Maine, a beautiful location um, in nature and where we had a nice quiet space to work on the show. Um, and we did that. And then we had, anyway, and we have, um, we, you know, we have some, we have some, people that are seriously interested in continuing to develop the show and um, producers and whatnot. And uh, so it's very, you know, I, I could say certain things, but I don't want to say anything yet, you know, but um, very promising. And um, we just got back from that a few weeks ago. And then we just did a new recording of um, a demo tape of some of the new songs in the show. And uh, we're going back out. Uh, we have a performance down in, uh, we're going to Tennessee in, in uh, August. So we're going to nice. resume, we're going to go back into rehearsal in July here in the city. And then we will continue uh, with these dates we have around the country. And the first one is in, is in Tennessee. And then we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed that everything works out. Uh, so everybody watching this, please, uh, you know, if uh, if the tour comes to you, go watch it. Go watch Michael Boggs. Uh, Michael. <laughs> go watch Michael <laughs> Simon Hall. Go, yeah. go watch Fox the musical. Brown. Yeah. You can look it up on, on Instagram. It's Henry Box Brown underscore the musical. You know. Well, we'll put that we'll put that right under here. And uh, same thing with the movie. Uh, go see. Go see women, and uh, you know we apologize in advance that you're going to see Michael being someone who he's not. But uh, that's what makes him a good actor. Perfect. Yeah. Well, it's thank you so much, Michael. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, uh, you were saying. I'm sorry. It's uh, is it's playing in theaters now, or is it uh, about to come out? I thought it was out already. No. Huh? Oh no, it's not officially out yet. I mean. Oh, um, it's 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 um it's going to be in a limited release in theaters on um um may 28th oh, and then at perfect. that time it'll go on demand also it'll be on, on demand um yeah so awesome uh, i look forward look forward to watching it um thank you again for coming on thank you for spending some time uh, with me and uh, I best of luck in, in your continued exploration of storytelling. Uh, you and many, many of really, really talented uh, people. Sujith uh, Varaghi is one of my friends uh, who's a wonderful Canadian actor. Uh, he refers to himself just like you as a storyteller. And I think that's the most beautiful part of what it is that you do. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think story is, you know, it's innate to human nature, right? It's like, it's part of us and we stories are how we understand life and how we express yeah. ourselves. And it's like, we're all part of a story, right? We're, in, we're in a story right now. You know, it's, that's just the way it looks like that's the way it is. Yeah. And we have, uh, we have some level of uh, control about what we do in the story or at least how we react to it. 
So like in acting, yeah. it's same in real life. Be present and go with it and see what happens. <laughs> thank you, Michael. Sounds and thank good. you, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. It's another episode of Let's Dive In. Uh, we know you love acting and people and stories and journeys as much as we do. And that's why we continue doing this for you. Thank you.